morning, church. Thank you for the good morning back. <laughs> um, so last week, I think it was on Thursday, I got an email, a meeting invitation in Outlook. You know, it's not unusual for me to get those. I get them all the time. And this one was from my boss. And so I typically immediately accept them. You know, I don't even look to see if it conflicts. Because I'm thinking, okay, if my boss invites me to a meeting, I should probably go to that meeting. It's probably more important than whatever I'm doing. And so I just accepted the meeting invite. And uh, yesterday, or no, Friday afternoon, I, I usually clean out my desk on Friday, and I'm going through, going through my emails, and I get to that one. And it was for, it was scheduled for 8.30 tomorrow morning. And so I really, really hope that that was an accident because I have that day off, and so I'm not going to be there. So I, I hope that you have tomorrow off. And I think it's fitting for us today to be talking about work in light of Labor Day holiday tomorrow. So I want to start out with an honest question and an honest show of hands. Would you quit your job if you won the lottery tomorrow? Who would quit their job? Okay, less than I expected. Maybe you guys really love your job, which is like awesome. Who would not quit their job? Okay, so we have about 50% participation. Actually, John raised his hand. That's good. John, your pastor, would keep his job if he won the lottery. Thank you, John. He loves us. Um, So we're going to talk about work, and it's a fun topic, right? Thank you, John, for the topic of talking about work. And I've entitled this sermon, Your Work in God's World. And today I want to challenge some of the ideas, some of the presuppositions that you may have about work and why we do it. Let's start with a few questions. Have you ever ever wondered why you go to work? A lot of people say it's to make money, right? That's a good logical answer, to make money so that you can provide for your family, that you can provide for your future maybe, maybe even so you could give to the life and mission of the local church. Those are all good answers, right? But if those are the reasons, the, the, the real reasons why we go to work then of course you're going to quit your job if you get the lottery. I don't care what you guys say. If you win the lottery next week, you are going to quit your job and try to find and do something else, right? It's just natural. But what if God has assigned work a special place in the human experience? Something that's not depend on how much you get paid or whether you get paid, but it has value in and of itself. My hope today and my my goal today is for for us together to to journey toward a more holistic and biblical understanding of work and its place in our life. We want to let the gospel inform the way that we think about work. So let's say, yes, let's say if you did quit your job. Let's think about that logic. You win the lottery, you quit your job. What if everybody won the lottery? What if next week everybody won the lottery and everybody quit their jobs, right? Everybody's rich. Woohoo. We'd have parties up and down all day long. But I think after a couple of weeks, we start to notice some things. We notice that trash cans would start to overflow, right? We notice that we wouldn't be able to use our cars anymore because no one's filling up the gas stations. We'd have to walk or, heaven forbid, use our bike to get to each other's houses and play werewolves and stuff like that. We would riot in the streets because nobody is restocking Bluebell ice cream at Kroger. There would just be mass pandemonium, right? I think our American mindset is that work is a means to a financial end. 
right? I, I work so that I can make money, or I work so that I can have security for the future for my family. I think that's the American mindset. How about this question? How does your faith connect to your job? If you're like me, you've been stumped on this one for a long time. Because I feel like, in general, no one's really told me how my faith, how the gospel connects to this thing that, that I spend so much time doing. For me, there's always been a disconnect between the gospel that transformed my life and that I'm like all about now, and the 85,000 hours I'm going to spend in an office building over the course of my life. Think about it. You're going to spend so much more time at your job than you're going to spend in this building. I think per week, if my math is right, you're going to spend 20 times more time at your job than here. Surely God has something to say about something that he has put so central into human life. We all know that being a pastor, of course, glorifies God. But could it be that there's something sacred or even spiritual about what you do for a living? When I was younger, I used to struggle with my calling in life. Did God want me to be a pastor? Did he want me to be a, a missionary? Did he want me to be a politician? Yes, I really thought I was going to be a politician when I was younger. I really dodged a bullet on that one. I'm glad I did not go that route. That sounds like a, a really rough route to take. I would, but I would agonize over this question. God, what do you want me to do? And I think a lot of you guys, if you're in your 20s, and even some people who are older or people who are teenagers, I think we agonize over this question. God, what, what is my calling? What do you want me to, to do in life? But I think I've found something that will liberate you from thoughts like this. I think I've found something that, that generally allows me to like and enjoy my job, not because it's easy, but, but because I understand its place in God's world. And I want to share some of that with you today. So as we ask these questions, I think they can all be fit under a larger question, which is, how do I glorify God with work? Or, or to put it another way, how is God pleased with my job? So we're going to go to the scripture, we're going to let it inform our understanding of these things. And I think that if you follow these insights, we're going to have four points, four insights from scripture. And I think if you keep these in tension in your life, that you'll generally be happy with what you do, and you will be glorifying God. So time is short, got a lot to say, so let's get, get going. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. If you have your Bibles, it's also going to be on the screen. But uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Let's see what God and Scripture has to say about this thing called work. It amazes me how much that we don't really think about or question the origins of why we do things. Like, why do we go to work? Or, or why do we do this or that? We've got to let the Bible inform our understanding. So it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it talks about the origins of work. And it says, then God blessed them, them being the humans that he had created. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry on the ground. And then if you flip one page over, it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 15, it says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
So the first point on your path to glorifying God with your job at work is this. Work lets you partner with God in developing the world. Work lets you partner with God in developing the world. What do I mean? The first thing we learn about God in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is God is a working God. Right? You open it up, God created the heavens and the earth. He's in the act of creation. That's the first thing we see him doing. He's creative. He's he's imaginative. And we, as the image bearers of God, also do the things that he does. So God takes nothing and turns it into something. He takes chaos, right? Chaos out there, and he turns it into order and into systems. And we share in that partnership with God as we go about our daily lives and go about our work. This is the duty that he has assigned to us in life. It's part of what makes humans human. So the American mindset is that there's some work that's more valuable than other work, right? So maybe we we value some work because it gets paid more, you get paid more to do it, and we value some work less because people don't get much to do that. But if we let the Bible, if we let God inform our understanding of work, we say, no, no, all work has dignity. All work has value. Because all work reflects in some way God's work in creating, sustaining, and redeeming the world. Your job plays a part in that. Not just the pastor's job, not just a clergy or missionary, but your job has a part in sustaining the world. And so I was trying to think of some examples of that, and it made me think about a city. Think about Houston, Texas. Okay, Houston, Texas is like four and a half million people, probably more these days, just growing every single day, right? And the concept of a city is this like complex web of people and jobs and vocations, and it takes all these different components to make a city work. Right? You need stay-at-home moms, you need teachers, you need policemen, you need pastors, you need administrative assistants, you need all these different people in all these different roles functioning so that a city runs the way that it's supposed to. It's the way that God has ordered natural, ordinary human experience. He's built it into the way that we are. Everyone has a role to play, and each role contributes to society. I mean, the city is an amazing concept. We think that we kind of invented that maybe. Like in the early days, we used to, people used to have their land, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then they organized into villages and then they made cities. And we're like, oh, that's a good idea. But I think cities are, are, are God's idea. If you look in Revelation, uh, at the very end, uh, it's like the last book in the Bible. And it kind of tells us a little bit, gives us insights into the future of, of what's going to happen. And in Revelation, the very farthest glimpse that we have into the future that it allows us to see is God dwelling among his people in the midst of a city. Cities are bustling with work and with movement and with creative energy. Some people say that that work is is like a a stems from the fall or from the curse or something like that. But no, no, no. We, We see work happening in the Garden of Eden, the paradise, And we see work happening in heaven, the true paradise. People are serving God in heaven. 
And I think the difference is in heaven, there'll be no curse, there'll be no tiredness. We will be able to inform creative energy for eternity. It's going to be cool, I think, at least. Dorothy Sayers, um, who's a brilliant scholar from the 20th century, puts it like this. Work should be looked upon not as a necessary drudgery to be undergone for the purpose of making money, but as a way of life in which the nature of man should find its proper exercise and delight and so fulfill itself to the glory of God. To put it simply, your work, whatever it is that you do, glorifies God because it was what you were made to do. We were created to work from the very beginning. So this is how you apply it to your life. Just some thoughts. If there's something in your mind, something in your heart, maybe you wouldn't admit it, but if there's something in your heart that tells you that, that what you do is less important than what John does as a pastor, then that's, a, that, 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 that's an unbiblical concept. It's very foreign to Scripture. Or maybe you, you look at certain jobs... And, and you join in with the American mindset that if, if it makes a lot of money, if it's, if it's very complex, maybe if it involves your, your mind as opposed to your hands, maybe we, we put more value on those jobs than other jobs. That too is a, is a foreign concept in scripture. All work has dignity. All work is important. You know, I heard someone say that, that in creation, God, the God of the universe, put his fingers into the soil. God did not believe that that kind of work was beneath him. I mean, in essence, God was a manual laborer. And so we too, as we look at work and as we understand work and as we, 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 we understand people, we, we, we should understand that, that all work has dignity. And some, worth is not, or some work is not worth more just because someone gets paid more to do it. It doesn't matter whether you get paid or more, or you're a white-collar worker or a blue-collar worker, God values your work for its own sake. I think one reason that we loathe our work or, we, or whatever, we have frustration with it, is because we always see it as a means to a financial end. I work so that I can make money. I work so that I have financial security. So the emphasis has shifted from work is good to work leads me to the good thing. But I think that God is, is calling us back to a, a biblical understanding, a, a being informed by the Bible that all work is inherently good and God is pleased when we engage in it. I think only when you have this down can you begin to grasp point number two. And that is this. The gospel frees you to glorify God in whatever you do. The gospel frees you to glorify God in whatever you do. This is huge. This has been huge for me. This has been life-changing for me. If you grasp this, you will never struggle with the concept of calling or vocation ever again. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 31, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to, I, I really recommend that you highlight this verse, star it, highlight, what, do, do whatever, mark it in your Bible so that you can find it easily. 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 31. 
Read this and be liberated. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then it says in Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than people. Do you see why that's amazing? It means in the Bible, there's no distinction between certain sacred jobs that glorify God and jobs that, that don't glorify God. As long as what you do is not, I guess, inherently destructive, like a mobster or something like that, then, then you can glorify God wherever you go in whatever you do. The wrong mindset is to think that there's just one career path that God wants for you, and if you miss it, that somehow you're, you're out of luck. You see, when Jesus transformed your life through the gospel, he didn't just call you to new work. He called you to glorify and rejoice and honor him in whatever you're doing. You want to be an accountant? Go be an accountant. You want to be a teacher? Go be a teacher. You want to be a pastor? Go be a pastor. We need some of those too, right? But there's no difference in Scripture between this this idea of the sacred and the secular. But in Scripture, we see those things combining as, as God's people live out their lives for his glory and whatever job that they're doing. This is the biblical understanding of work. I used to agonize about what I was going to do, as I'm sure some of you 20-somethings may be agonizing about that, or even people who are older. But I think it's possible to glorify God in whatever job you have. Timothy Keller is a, a brilliant Christian thinker, and if you're interested in work or trying to understand how faith connects to work, go, go check him out and listen to some of his stuff. This is what he says. He says, this is how you choose a job. You look at your passions and your gifts and your talents, basically the way that God wired you, right? The way that your personality fits. And you find a job that brings peace and justice to the world. So Timothy Keller would say, get a job that makes you useful and helps people. So there's a wide spectrum of jobs out there, of good jobs out there, right? This huge spectrum of jobs. And maybe within this spectrum, there's a slice of jobs that fit you. And so Timothy Keller would say, you know, look at yourself and look at your talents and try to do jobs that that brings together your talents with something that that helps people and brings peace to the world. And the the closer you can get those things to align, the happier you're going to be in your job. I'll use an example uh, from my own life as as a point. So this is what I do for a living. I'm a senior regulatory affairs coordinator. And uh, I, I try to figure out how to explain that, and really, I, it's kind of hard to do, I guess. I don't know. I basically print out pieces of paper, and I put them in a binder. That's what I do. You know, as Michael Scott would say, it's limitless paper in a paperless world, right? You know, it's, it's, it's what I do. And, you know, I've got to be honest, recently I've been looking around thinking, there's got to be a little bit more out there to life, you know, than printing out pieces of paper, putting in the binder, and filing those things away. But the other day, I was uh, sitting in a room full of doctors. See, I work in the medical center, and I work for Baylor College of Medicine, but, but in Texas Children's Hospital, and I'm a research staff. So I'm in this uh, room full of doctors, and they start talking about kids who are on my research studies. These are very sick kids who are, have very rare forms of cancer and different things like that. 
And I just do the paperwork. I don't, like, talk to the kids or anything. But in this meeting, they start talking about kids who are on my studies. And they start using their names, like Dominique and Layla and Mia. And all of a sudden, it hit me. It's not, I'm not moving pieces of paper. These, don't, these aren't pieces of paper. These represent children, children who need help. You better believe that I'm praying a lot at work now. I've made this connection between what I do and serving other people, right? I, I, don't, I don't have the skill or the mind or the capacity to, to actually go in and like heal these kids. I, I don't have those skills, but I can do my job well and I can help those doctors. And you better believe that I'm praying regularly like, Father, please in your loving kindness, I, I pray that you would heal these kids and that you would make these doctors' hands sure and, and, and firm so they can heal these diseases. And you better believe that I'm praying that all the time now. So I have found a way to connect my faith into what I do for a living. And I think that everyone has the ability to do that. Sometimes it feels like I push paper, yes, but I've been able to connect my faith and my work. So here's practical application for you. If you greatly dislike your job, which sounds like maybe not many people do that because no one would quit their job if they won the lottery, but if you greatly dislike your job, then you need to do one of three things in order to get back into a mindset of glorifying God. So one, either remember that your job has intrinsic value, that it contributes to God's creation and sustaining the world. Two, Remember that your job serves people in some way, even if you can't see it. And part of your job in your mind is to connect what you do with serving other people because every good job does that in some way. Or three, maybe you need to find a new job that matches your passions. You know, we here at White Oak and in this church community believe that the gospel informs and transforms every part of your life even your job, even your families, even your dreams and aspirations. We believe that the gospel is holistic and it affects every part of your life. And I'm passionate about this because I believe that God doesn't just work through pastors. I used to kind of think that God just works through pastors, but no, no, no. He works through us, business people and stay-at-home moms and retirees and students and and all these different people outside of the professional church world. He, He, of course, he uses pastors, but he uses us as well. Actually, I had this thought the other day that we Christians are everywhere. Think about it. I mean, when you watch the news, you may not think that because it seems like the world's going badly, but but we Christians are everywhere. We are in the White House. We're on Wall Street, we're in palaces, we're in slums, we're businessmen, we are pastors, we are everywhere, we are every race. And we have infiltrated the world and we are spreading the light of the gospel wherever we go. I think that this is the image that we have in scripture when God says to to let your light shine before other people, right, so that they may give thanks and glorify God. This is the rhythm of life in scripture. He said, James, okay, I recognize that work is good, and I can aim to glorify God by doing any type of good work, but how do I do that come Tuesday morning? I think it's this. 
Be good at what you do while loving other people. Be good at what you do while loving other people. If you understand that all work is valuable and that you can glorify God doing any kind of work, then it naturally leads to the third point, that a job worth doing is a job worth doing well. Ecclesiastes puts it like this, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Colossians tells us to work as though you are working for the Lord and not for men. Unlike all the other people in the world, we do not work for an earthly boss. We work for a higher authority. And God values excellence. If you don't think God values excellence in work, man, read Leviticus. God is a precise God. Don't forget that for 30 years, Jesus worked as a carpenter doing secular work. Talking about Jesus, Dorothy Sayers put it like this. No crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. You better believe that Jesus was a skilled carpenter. Because excellence and integrity please God. Some application for you. Try to get better at your job. You don't have to be perfect, but look for ways to get better at your job. Shadow people. Go on seminars, you know, like go to trainings. Whatever you need to do, but try to get better at your job. Number two, come in on time and leave when you're supposed to. This is like basic Christian ethics 101. But it makes sense, right? Because if you're working for God and you're trying to please Him, then God values integrity as well as skill. Strive for excellence, no matter how high or low paying your job is. Sure, we're going to make mistakes, but we should do the best that we can at our job. And I think the reason that that's important, and that's something I haven't really made the connection with until recently, is that when you're good at what you do, that gives you a platform for sharing the gospel with other people. That kind of leads to the second part of my point, you know, it's like, do your job well while loving other people. And so I think as you're good, it's going to, as you're good at what you do, it's going to open up doors to serve people. I mean, your job is one of the, the greatest opportunities that you will ever, 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 ever have in life to serve other people. 83,000 hours or 90,000 hours at work. What an opportunity to serve people. Philippians says, don't just look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. When you see a coworker falling behind, jump in and help. When someone's going to be gone on vacation, offer to cover for them. Do things without being asked to do them. I think that this is the rhythm of being a disciple at your job. Excellent work while loving people. And I think the only way that we can do that, as we move to the final point, is the gospel frees you to do these things because you know your worth is not tied to what you do. It seems backwards, but it's true. See, capitalism says that your value comes from what you can produce. And religion says that your value comes from your righteousness. But the gospel says your value comes from Jesus 
Christ. Amen? So as you're free in the gospel, we we know that we're free to go out and and, and do things, whatever we want to do, but to the glory of God. Point number four is this. Gospel rest is the key to working well. Gospel rest is the key to working well. I hope that you've noticed this, this, this undercurrent of, of grace flowing through the sermon. This is this, this undercurrent that I, I want to draw out right now. That the, that the yes, we strive for ox, uh, excellence and we recognize we're still broken people in need of Jesus, but we also recognize that our value does not come from our work. Doesn't matter how good or bad a job we do, doesn't matter how high paying or low paying our job is, doesn't matter whether the world values what we do, doesn't matter if we're unemployed or we're in transition or if we're retired or whatever, the gospel says that you are a child of God through Jesus Christ, that all the promises of God are for you in him, and that one day you will dwell with him in a kingdom forever because of grace alone. This is the gospel, and this is the word to us. And I think that as you believe that, it will remove you out of the, the rat race that most people are in of, of, of trying to get ahead, of backstabbing coworkers so that they can get that position, or um, always going to school to try to get to the next better thing. But in the gospel, you can be truly satisfied, and you can be truly at rest. The gospel frees you from anxious work because God promises to give you your daily bread. The gospel frees you from the rat race because you find your satisfaction in Jesus alone. And this one's for me. The gospel frees you from endlessly seeking accomplishments because Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. So, the rhythm that God has put in our life is to work but also to rest. And if you're burnt out, you're tired, then you need to probe into yourself and and ask some questions. Why am I working so hard? Is it to please God? Or is it to appease God and earn his favor? Are you working hard because... um, you try to earn his favor or because you're living in the gospel? Do I find my identity and my work instead of Jesus? This one's for me too. I don't know if there's anyone, well maybe a few people, who evaluate their work as ruthlessly as I do. Everything that I do, I do not think that it's good enough. I'll probably go home after this sermon's done and I'll listen to it and think about man, I should have said this, or I should have said this and that, and I just, I, I just take my work and I just chop it to pieces. And I don't think that that's sustainable. That's not the way that God envisions our life. He says, yeah, do the best that you can do, but just know that it's, it's all grace anyway, right? Keller says it this way. It says, the thing about putting your identity in your work is that when your work goes well, it goes to your head, and when your work goes poorly, it goes to your heart. And so in the gospel gives us a new understanding for work, work that's radically different from what the world says, and that your value comes from Jesus alone. So as we draw to a close, um, my goal really here was to give you 
a, a Monday morning theology to give you an understanding of work that will help you be sustained through the 20, 30, 40 something years that you're going to have to spend at a job. And I think that as you let the Bible inform your understanding, that it is sustainable. That there's a rhythm of work and rest. And that work is truly never done. So if you're trying to get everything done before you go and rest, you're never going to rest. So the Bible says to take time to rest. And that's really one of the reasons that we gather on Sunday. We, we gather and we remember the gospel and we enjoy each other's company. I mean, even God and all that he has to do rested on the seventh day, right? And so we too should rest and enjoy. So to summarize, all work is meaningful because God puts value in it. That you can glorify God in whatever work you do, wherever you go. That the gospel, that you should be excellent at what you do and love other people. And that the gospel gives you rest. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for work. It seems strange coming from my lips, actually, but in your word we see that work is good. We see that in work we can join with you in creation and join with you in sustaining the world, and that in the future we will be working in heaven, creating and being imaginative and and writing plays and singing songs and exploring universes and doing all these different things, Lord, that, that heaven is a hub of activity. Father, I pray for these people. I pray that they live their lives and whatever they do to glorify you, to bring honor to your name, to be excellent in their work, but also to love other people. And Father, most of all, probably, I ask that they would rest in your gospel. I ask that there's anyone in this room who is seeking their self-worth from work or from relationships or what they can accomplish, Lord, I pray that you would inform them now with the gospel. This idea that, that they are not saved because of their hard work, but they are saved because of Jesus' hard work. Father, we love you so much. Give us that gospel rest, both spiritually and physically. Father, love these people as I know you will, as we in turn love you and seek to honor you in all things. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.